Okay, I gotta give myself kudos for tonight's meal. I've been experimenting a lot with food lately, and uh, fortunately, my mom and dad are pretty uh, pretty cool about that. And I ended up um, creating this concoction. It's just basically a uh, oh, I mean, it. I went off of a recipe. And it's Cajun Chicken Linguini, and uh, I was always a fan of a place called Zitejas over, over in uh, Scottsdale, and uh, there's another location over in Chandler. It's like a southwestern-type style food, and it's got a Cajun mix to it, but it's got some other spices, which tones it down a bit, and typically some buttery sauces that, oh my god, it's usually so good. Well, you know, I made this, and, uh, you know, pretty much everybody was pretty happy with the... I had, you know, my uh, nephew was over, and uh, also my mom and dad's roommate Michelle. So, for, you know, it fed six of us, and I didn't have any complainers there. So it was very filling, and um, dogs got a little bit of leftovers afterwards too. So, in any case, it uh, it was good. It was, had a little spice to it, nothing too much. I I spiced mine up a little bit more, but uh, picked up like five ingredients altogether. So. You know, in order to make this and another dish tomorrow and another one on Sunday. So I'm going to be doing, um, it's a mushroom, it's like a mushroom-based sauce and everything that I'm going to be creating for tomorrow's uh, dinner. And it's going to be chicken again, or pork, uh, one of the two. I haven't decided decided yet. But, uh, yeah, I'm just uh, going to be taking all that and throwing it together. And it's a, a breaded mushroom chicken. I had always wanted, wanted to experiment with, um... Burgundy, uh, it's like, um, I think they call it, what's the name, it starts with a B, Bernese, Bernese sauce and that kind of stuff and everything. For me, my idea of a wealthy person, particularly a wealthy bachelor, um, is somebody that uh, is good with cooking. You know, somebody that, um, not only that, but has has a, a varied um, and, and refined palate. And uh, also that uh, is very good at cooking themselves, too. You know, so, well, they might prefer having somebody else make the food. On occasion, they'll, you know, somebody like this might actually go out and, you know, buy a whole bunch of ingredients and just throw something together that tastes better than almost anything any chef will be able to create. That, for me, is what, what I imagine somebody that is, is very wealthy and you know, particularly a bachelor, you know, that's had to have years of, of cooking for themselves and everything. I don't know why I brought that up, but perhaps to some degree this time off and everything is just a refinement of this character that I know as me, you know. Um, but um, in any case, um, long story short, uh, this has definitely been kind of a cool exercise and ended up uh, getting um, some spices and everything. And here's the thing. I'd always bought spices before, but most of the time they gathered dust. You know, I always had great intentions of trying to actually create things, and, and I did have my nights where I did. I remember spending four hours one night. Uh, I'd pulled a um, recipe off the internet to make a, uh, a beef panang that uh, I love panang, and I loved trying, but I always found that no matter where I went, it always tasted just a, a little bit different. So, 
you know, I, I love my Thai food and everything, and I love it spicy, so I wanted to understand the spices a little bit more. I wanted to understand what went into, you know, the creation of a of a great dish, you know, whether or not it's Penang or, you know, something like this, a Cajun dish. Um, I'd always been pretty good about, you know, understanding some of the ingredients and how to spice things up, but never, you know, never like a wine. You know, I'd spent years doing wine tastings and that kind of stuff. You know, I'd gone to Napa Valley and um, Sonoma and uh, also, you know, ended up, I was a regular over at uh, Wines and More, and, you know, also Cost Plus, I would get 10 bottles of wine and just go through, and I'd taste different wines, and at first, you know, when I first started the whole wine tasting thing, you know, I would get into, you know, tasting it, and just basically, the whole concept and idea seemed ridiculous of spitting it out, you know, or, you know, the fir- this is the first time I went wine tasting over in Napa Valley. And that was back in like 97, 98. I thought it was ridiculous, you know. Why would people spit out perfectly good wine? And not only that, you know, it's just like here, this fluffy, you know, snooty dude behind there, or woman, you know, would be saying, you know, hey, can't you smell, you know, the, you know, the aroma of the of the wood, the oak that it was actually used to put it in, and you know, um, they'd talk about the berries and the different ages and all this other stuff. And you know, for me. <laughs> I couldn't tell the difference for me. A wine was a wine was a wine. I really didn't, you know, have any any taste differences. And uh, while sure, I can definitely tell the difference between like a red and a white, it was towards the end of that three-day trip that I ended up having this wine that was, oh my fucking God, eye-opening. Um, it was a place called Buena Vista Wineries over in uh, Napa or Sonoma. I can't remember which. And... Um, at that point, it's just like, it opened up my eyes. I mean, prior to then, I'm just like basically going through the whole, you know, checking things out and just, you know, I'm I'm being, you know, I'm playing along. You know, I'm trying not to be um, snooty myself. I don't like the whole idea of snootiness and, you know, to the point of, you know, just if it's a fake air. But if you actually do... We'll put it this way. I was just interested in understanding of wines and um, and and what the real difference was. What what's the difference between a you know a two buck or you know two buck chuck over to a place like um, what is it um, Trader Joe's you know versus you know a box of white zen versus um, oh I don't know a ten dollar a glass of wine that uh, from a bottle that costs you know sixty bucks or something like that versus you know things that are even more than that two thousand dollar bottle of wines was really a significant difference you know i i didn't taste the difference at that point you know between the five dollar you know between a four dollar glass of wine and a ten dollar glass of wine you know so i'd always get the cheap thing just because i didn't taste the difference and then all of a sudden i started realizing it's just like it's not always associated to the the cost of the wine you know the taste of it um, there's a lot of other factors that, that quali- you know, get into that, and I didn't know this, you know, going through until I had that wine, and it's just like, oh my god, I'd never had a wine like that before, you know, so I brought, I actually, it's one of the few times I was blown away, it was a Pinot Blanc wine, I remember that, and it was, it was a special edition and everything, created by, uh, Buena Vista Wineries, and, um, I ended up buying a box of it, you know, I mean, I'm talking about a box, I'm talking about a six-pack, you know, and, uh, you know, brought it back on the airplane with me, 
it was that good. So, anyways, I ended up going through that. It was pretty quickly, and, you know, it was just like that type of thing. That was just like, okay, you know. And um, for me, you know, the whole concept and idea, you know, of the palate, of taste, you know, and not only that, taste combined with texture and smells and that kind of stuff, you know, just really... You know, I I can't I can say that that might have been like the start of my moving away from having a good steak and you know just basically barely able to tell the difference between a Roost Chris steak versus a Black Angus steak versus you know I, I mean I sure I could definitely tell the difference between all those you know but that was kind of the extent of my my palate you know and and its refinement you know I couldn't. You know, because I'd had so much different different steaks and everything, you know, but I couldn't really taste the difference between hamburgers and, you know, different types of foods and the ingredients used and that kind of stuff. And I think it was about then. I was like when I was 28, 29, when I started really diligently paying attention to a lot of things, you know. And one of the biggest things I started paying attention to was the ingredients, you know, what went into it and uh, and you know, where did it come from? You know, and and here's the thing. Years before I had um I had gone through and I, I started getting into um music when I was really young. You know, maybe I don't know, I was like eight years old, seven years old when I I think I was ten when I bought my first forty fives. It was um Three of them all together. Queen's Another One Bites the Dust, Kenny Rogers and Lady, and uh, Devo's Whip It. Those are the th- first three songs that I purchased in person. And it was, there are 45 versions, and um, I just love the songs. You know, it's just like each one from completely different uh, eras and everything. But, but Lady absolutely made me cry, and, you know, back then I was. Uh, a lot more emotional than I am than I am now. I'll still have those things that I'll cry at and everything, but uh, you know, also, you know, just still to this day, I love those songs. And um, it was about that time, and shortly after that, I started getting involved in band and also um, playing the guitar. Um, I played electric guitar when I was back in high school and everything, and uh, actually was um, jammed with a couple friends and everything. Um, never had the uh, courage to, you know, to be a lead singer or anything like that. But uh, I was in choir, and you know, was actually pretty damn good with choir stuff and everything all throughout high school was in show choir and we toured a lot with that kind of stuff and everything but back then it was about the time because I played guitar I had singled out um, certain bands you know like Van Halen or um, who's the other one Poison Um, they're not even at the same level Um, Cinderella things like that where I can actually I could play somebody like uh, you know like Cinderella or poison real easily I can actually pick up by ear you know the lead guitars in it and at that point start playing you know playing that from ear it became easy to single out that one instrument and and more or less listen only to that instrument and not listen to anything else and uh, at that point once I started doing that I can actually repeat this and play along with the song you know and I felt like I was like you know the dude you know playing you know I mean I'm like this rock and roller and everything back then you know I just cut my hair and everything so I was a little bit less of a Heshman than 
than I uh, than I really was. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it was about that time that I, I started learning to single things out, you know, mentally focusing my mind on the single um, ingredients in in this case of the band and. While I knew that there was four people in Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, Alex, um, David Lee Roth, and of course uh, Michael Anthony, um, I knew that Michael Anthony paid, played the bass. I knew what the bass sounded like. I knew its range and everything it can do. Um, Eddie Van Halen and his lead guitars, you know, fuck, fucking awesome. You got David Lee Roth and his vocals, you know, and of course you've got uh, Michael An- or not Michael Anthony. Um, Alex Van Halen, the drummer, you know, so between the four of them, you know, I can actually single out each instrument, but I can never, ever play like Eddie Van Halen. I was just like, the what the guy did with his hands and that guitar and everything, while I could single out the instrument, for me, what he did was absolutely fucking magical, you know, with the guitar. But this is about the point that, uh, that I learned to single out, isolate, you know, single instruments within a song and I ended up taking that skill you know and learning to leverage that with you know with programming you know I mean I could do the same thing with programming nowadays I can see certain things on a website or maybe a web browser or a computer system um, that I'm interacting with or a TV you know and I know you know how the I know how the code works behind the scenes um, for since I was 11 so anyways no timer. Thank you, computer. There are no timers set. Um, so, anyways, um, long story short, um, this has led to my discovery of, hey, they're not full of shit when it comes down to the wines. There's actually a significant difference. You know, you can actually tell the region of where something comes from. You know, Nosleys or Spotleys, for instance, you can absolutely tell that it comes from Germany. Um, you know, in a general sense, you can tell, you know, you can't tell for all of them, you know, like Riesling, it's a mysterious one, you know, I've tasted Rieslings from around the world, and, uh, you know, it's supposed to be a cornered market cornered by France, but it most certainly isn't, um, but you have another one that tastes a little bit like it, which was the, uh, Pinot Grigio, you know, not, not necessarily, Pinot Grigio has a lot of range and everything to it, you know, and then, you know, understanding different wines, there's also different tastes within a wine, too, you know, so, uh, that's actually what I learned, was singling out the ingredients, to some degree, makes the taste, taste that much more interesting, you know, it, um, broadens your own palate, your own mind, and the capabilities of your own mind, to basically isolate the ingredients in something, and say, hey, you know, I... I can actually taste this, and I do understand the difference between, you know, a $2, you know, or we'll put it this way, like a $10 box of wine, you know, versus a $5 glass, you know, um, and like I said, I'm going to be very clear about this, cost does not always mean this is better quality. I've had awesome quality wines for four dollars. I myself. Now sure, I I have gone out there and trust me, when it comes down to spending money on wines, I don't know anybody else that spent as much money as me on wines. You know, and trying things out when it comes down to it. You know, sure, I've known people that have had wine cellars 
And, uh, but in a general sense, most of them just let the wine sit. Me, not, not me. I was the type that I would purchase, you know, 10 wines when I would, every month that I would go to over to Cost Plus, and I would try every one. You know, I'd invite a friend over, and I'm just like, you know, Jackie or something like that. Come on over, we're gonna have a, have a bottle of wine and everything with us tonight. You know, so she'd bring one herself sometimes. Sometimes I'd crack open two, and, you know, she'd be my experiment. She'd experiment with me, you know, with this. And we would try different things, you know. I knew that uh, she loved a Pinot Blanc as well, you know. So I frequently got Pinot Blanc. So she's the one that turned me on to, uh, was it Maynard? Um, guy from uh, Tool and also from uh, Perfect Circle. Um, he has his own vineyard. And uh, he, he makes really, it's called Chupacabra. It's an awesome wine. It really is. And it was only $9, you know. So, I mean, in contrast to some of the other wines that are far more expensive, he did a great fucking job for it, and I think that, uh, you know, for the $9 bottle of wine that I got from him, it's just like, oh my god. So, that's the thing that I found, was, uh, over the years, you know, the one thing I've learned, absolutely, was that, yes, in general, quality is associated with the, uh, with the cost, but that's, you know, not, I, I would go so far to say, that only applies maybe 50% of the time. That's sad, you know, that you can't ensure that quality is associated directly to the cost. Yeah. But then again, it also gives you a chance for discovery too, right? So in any case, um, yeah, that's actually something I've learned when it comes down to ingredients too. So going back to the whole Thai food story, one night I spent, um, I was with my uh, ex-wife Amy, and, um, Amy, um, she, I told her, she's like, I'm going to make this meal and everything tonight. Um, you know, something I haven't made before. I'm experimenting with you. And it's, uh, it was a Penang. You know, we'd gone to various different places and everything for Penang. And I'm just like, look, I'm really intent on making it here tonight. Let me make you dinner. Well, she, you know, she didn't make dinner herself. She wasn't, uh, you know, wasn't to cook. And most of the women I've been with weren't, weren't cooks either. So I'm just like, okay. You know, so here's what we're going to do. So I ended up um, going through and, you know, spending, I, I found this recipe that uh, back then they didn't have quite the websites that we have nowadays and everything. And, uh, yeah, I ended up finding this recipe online and this recipe uh, ended up having this, um, you know, it looked like a pretty good dish and everything. And it had all, you know, what the, what I considered, what I thought were the primary ingredients of uh of um, Penang. Now, I didn't know Asian foods at this point, you know, and, and while I still don't necessarily know Asian foods now, um, I'm far less naive about Asian foods, and I can generally speaking create my own concoctions pretty decently and everything that tastes Asian in nature. So, in any case, I ended up, um, you know, putting together this dish and everything that uh, the first batch was fucking horrible. It was, um, I started doing this at about seven o'clock at night. Second batch was even worse than the first one. And, uh, here I am. It's just like, you know, it's about nine o'clock by this point. It takes a while, you know, and I'm following second batch. I made sure I followed the directions to the T. I'm just like, what the fuck is going on with this? So anyways, um, she's, she's sitting there going, okay, well, I'm going to watch, uh, I think it was Monk was her show and everything. I'm going to watch Monk and, uh, you know, after this, you know, you do what you want. I'm just like, okay, whatever. So I said, I'm, give me one more try. So I threw that batch away. 
and I started on my third batch and everything. 10.30 is done, and I get this batch, and I swear, I have followed the directions to the T. And I'm just like going, there's... I, I don't understand. How can people actually say that they enjoy this? This is not Penang. It's fucking horrible. You know, it is literally one of the worst dishes I've ever had. It's salty. It's And all of a sudden, it comes down to singling out the ingredients. It's salty. Why is it salty? Most Penang isn't salty. And at that point, it clicked. Dumb shit here had replaced salt instead of using sugar. Called for like, uh, I can't remember how much sugar, but uh, I had used the amount of sugar, um, that it, or the, the amount in salt that I was supposed to use in sugar. So, literally, three and a half hours later, here I am starting on the fourth dish at about uh, 10.45. She's asleep on the couch. And um, I'm <laughs> leveling up my Thai skills. And uh, I'm just like going, oh my god. Midnight, after I followed directions to the T, now using sugar. You know, and she, at this point she was arguing with me. And she's like, look, you know, you don't have to stay awake. And she goes, well, I'll, whenever you do it and finish it, it's just like, I'll be awake and everything. So, you know, just wake me up and I'll eat it then. So I finished it at midnight. And uh, finally at midnight, it ended up tasting good. And, um, but it was one of the most laborious, most annoying fucking times I ever had. Well, what I learned with all this and everything was when I taste something at, at a place that I go to or something like that, there's certain key ingredients that you can taste and everything. Um, I'm relatively, you know, when it comes down to the spices, the, the, the hotter spices, the cayennes, the Cajuns, the things like that, I'm pretty good with. Um, now I just got two, turmeric and, um, I, I haven't worked with turmeric and curry before, but, uh, that's actually going to be the dish on uh, Sunday night. I'm going to make a uh, tikka masala. And, um, it, it's, I mean, the cool thing is, you know, my mom and dad are pretty cool about letting me experiment and everything with the foods, but, you know, for me, it's just, uh, long story short, I just, I had fun tonight making dinner for everybody, you know, it's just like, all these times before when I was wanting to work on my, you know, to have a little time to basically create these dishes, not stress about, you know, getting it out, you know, and not, not stressed about bucking it up. Now, the way I look at it is, hey, if I fuck it up, we can always go down to, you know, down and get burgers and everything. My mom and dad are pretty laid back about that kind of stuff. And they, you know, they've made it clear they appreciate me doing this, you know, going through the efforts of trying different things out and everything. You know, for me, it's just like, because I have an audience for it, it makes it more, I feel more appreciation, you know, from doing it. You know, so... Now that I've got my mom and dad singing, and it's just like, you know, and they're tasting it. My dad's like, you know, he liked this one tonight, too. My mom, it was too spicy for, for some reason. It, I think the fact is, she doesn't, she doesn't have taste buds, so she likes her textures. So my dad likes the taste, my mom likes the textures. And um, this one, I think it's the first time she may have tasted something. You know, and she tasted the little bit of spice that was in there. I'm just like, right on. I think I'm on the right track. You know, maybe teach my mom how to actually uh, taste after all. So, in any case, it was uh, kind of fun.
you know, going through that and making that tonight. So, anyways, um, I had some tornadoes, that that's what they're called, over at uh, a place called um, the Blue Bayou Restaurant over in uh, Disneyland one time. And um, the sauce on those tornadoes, it was basically, it was a Bernays sauce, and it was uh, mushroom-based, and it was just hands down. Um, I don't know if it was just the the moment. Um, I don't think so, because the meat, the meat was, was great. Um, but combined with that Bernays sauce, sure, I paid $55 for my, for my plate alone. Um, I can't remember who I went with. I think it was Lisa. You know, so between the two of us, I mean, I think I walked away paying $200 for that meal that night. And, but it was worth it. It was hands down one of the best meals I've ever had. And that Bernays sauce that I had on my, uh, on that, on that tornado, on my steak tornadoes, three tornadoes, I remember them. You know, so that's actually what I'm trying to uncover is some of these recipes that I've had while I'm out and about and everything, I like the idea of taking them and, and uh, more or less integrating them within my own personal um, vocabulary of cooking. You know, so I enjoy it. I mean, I always have, you know, and that's not just something I say either, you know, it's just, um, it's something I've always had fun with and going back to the whole wealthy person thing. Just like if I ever, ever did happen to run into a couple billion bucks, you know, the one thing I would definitely have is a fucking kick-ass kitchen. You know, I'm not talking about one of these that actually looks like a a kitchen kitchen. I'm talking about one of these that looks like a ritzy, you know, hey, I've got all the, I've got two stoves, I've got, you know, all the spices and everything that are all available to me and everything. I've got all, all the cool nifty tools and everything to use and it's just, um, I don't know, for me that would be fun, you know, um, and being able to, you know, to to make stuff so where I can actually just do a whole bunch of different things all together and create this fantastic dinner for two. And I already know I have all the ingredients memorized for one of my favorite dishes and everything. You know, something that I may have made myself for myself, you know, maybe a hundred times by that point, you know, so I can do it all from memory. That's what I like the idea of. And this dish tonight's just one of those dishes, you know. It's got enough spice, it's, um, it's complex, you know, for sure, you know, putting it together, but it just, it does make me think, you know, about the, the possibilities, you know, a little bit more, you know, about, uh, what an investment in a wonderful kitchen would be and everything and how, you know, how the kitchen would look. You know, this kitchen, I'm not, not degrading you house if you're listening to me. I'm just saying that uh, there's limited uh, real estate here and the flair, you know, particularly if I'm actually, you know, I, I imagine like a being having a Pierce Brosnan kind of presence, you know, eventually one day becoming like a little bit more sophisticated and enjoying my life and maybe leading a double life and, you know, maybe that's just of a, of a closet thief or something like that that just goes out and steals you know, Mona Lisa's, just so I can actually kick back in my own library, you know, and admire my things that I have and everything. You know, and sure, it might be selfish and everything, but I'm okay with that. Mona Lisa isn't something I would steal. Dali is. <laughs> and I know where all the Dali museums are. 
So, yeah, the one that I would actually, if I was to ever steal any painting, oh, I can tell you right now which one it would be. <laughs> um, the time one. Um, what the, what's the name of that one? Oh, it's gonna bug me. It's the Drooping, Drooping Time Painting. Dali, Salvador Dali. If ever I was to ever take a painting from a public place, the persistence of memory, I would, that, that painting there is something I would go steal the original of. If I was ever like a Pierce Brosnan capable and everything. But here's the thing. I don't have a place to put it. You know, so... If you've ever seen uh, Pierce Brosnan's um, remake of uh, a classic... Um, oh, what was it? Pierce Brosnan's... Uh, movie where he's a thief. The Thomas Crown Affair. Um, that was a remake. And, uh, but I never saw the Steve McQueen original, and who knows how many originals of it existed before then. It's probably been done a million times at this point with what I've understood about time and everything. But um, Pierce Brosnan, wonderful, sophisticated um, Englishman, he, in my opinion, epitomizes class, epitomizes style. Um, if, if you're to look up the definition of class in my dictionary, that's who you'd see. Class sophistication, style, and everything, that's who it is. So, in any case, um, in the Thomas Crown Affair, he plays an ultra-wealthy, um, basically a billionaire that owns a couple multinational companies and everything, and he's bored. You know, the fact is, he's flat-out bored. And uh, he's also... Um, unbeknownst to basically everybody, a a high-end art thief. So there's certain pieces of art that museums find priceless, and they actually have in museums that are, that are being mounted and publicly viewed. And he'll go and, you know, particularly with with the painting that he loves or something like that, he'll uh, scope it out, and he'll admire the painting and everything. You know, and then all of a sudden he'll end up taking it off the block himself, and uh, he he scopes the place out. He try he figures out a way in. He leverages his money to purchase all the cool nifty gadgets and technology, and you know to figure out a way into the place and everything. And boom, he ends up taking it, and you know, in a big huge art thief heist, and that's making the news and everything. Well, for me. I look at his double life that, you know, he ends up taking this art and he ends up, he has himself his own little study area, his own little museum where he basically kicks back and he, want, and he just enjoys being in the presence of his paintings. Just enjoys it. He kicks back and he just, this is his, his you know, equivalent of his end zone. That's something I would find myself doing very easily if I had, if I had the proper money. You know, just some something where I could enjoy my favorite originals. You know, something that maybe nobody else is even aware of. Nobody. 
Nobody would ever find out about it either. That's one secret I would actually have to keep. I'd want to keep it just because I wouldn't, you know, for me, it would be my private area. And the place that only I go to, that nobody else would. That's one of the few things I would never tell us all about. I've thought about that a lot. How cool would it be? You know, to be, you know, that wealthy to build something like that. You know, to have that place that you can go back and just rest and relax and be in a place that you know nobody else has set their eyes on. So, in any case, that um, that has its appeal to me. You know, and the memory, that painting, the... Uh, the persistence of memory would probably be one of my premier star additions in that uh, in that thing. I wouldn't get only paintings, you know. I would probably do things like getting an original TARDIS. Um, I don't know, maybe copies of original prints of some, you know, some movies or something like like Matrix or something like that. But uh, I don't know. I don't know what I'd put in there. I just know that uh, persistence of memory would certainly be one. Nobody else would have that one. Just me. And I'd keep it out of museums, and I'd never tell tell us all about who, about who had it and where. It's always inspired me. It's always made me look and question. What did he mean? I don't know if you've ever seen the painting. What it does is it features uh, three clocks on it. And uh, each clock is melted and uh, dis totally disfigured and everything. They're stopwatches, basically. And uh, it's just like um, one of them's face down. And for me, it's just, I don't know. I, I can't tell you. I couldn't, for the life of you, tell you why it's so meaningful to me, other than the mystery. And the mystery, really, I mean, I could explain the mystery of it. Mystery is, you know, what did Dali mean? You know, or, or more importantly, not what did Dali mean, but why does it mean so much to me? And the answer is pretty simple. I'm the master of time. In time that I'm not aware of that, consciously, You know, when I'm just existing as a mortal in this world and everything. And there's a part of me that's always trying to discover my master and capabilities over time itself. And there's a part of me that's basically saying, Now, put this off as long as possible. That part of the journey is... You know, the least... I, I already know... You know, when I get to the stage of being able to travel through time, you know, it's a different, uh, different mindset. It's a different world for me. I already know what to expect. 
I mean, I still expect it to be a thrill, but the thrill of the first kiss or the first time I got laid or, you know, getting arrested and the shame of, of being discovered, you know, about uh, the drugs, you know, the emotions that are tied to, you know, to mortal existence are altogether, you know, become something wholly different and they become minimized, you know, when, when I basically made that step from mortality to immortality. You know, but the whole time I'd been questioning time subconsciously, and not more than that. Why does something like this mean so much to me at a conscious level and a subconscious level? Why is it so thought-provoking? What did Dali mean about that? Well, the mystery is, time for me, it's not that it's broken. It's just that it's polymorphic. It's mini-faced. It's... For me, from my perspective, it really is kind of broken. But it's not at the same time. And that's why it means so much to me. So, um, to have that painting in my own library and everything... Yep. That would probably be one of my foremost goals if I was to ever run into a couple billion bucks or something like that. So anyways, um, on a different note, I ended up, uh, me and my mom, we ended up taking off to go get my food benefits instated for the state of uh, Washington. and. It went smoothly, surprisingly. No problems whatsoever and everything. So, that, uh, that for me was, uh, refreshing. You know, usually I'm used to a state agency like California or here when I tried to apply the first time and everything, you know, but I still had California benefits coming, you know, causing problems and everything. But no, this time it was smooth as silk and everything, no problems at all. So it's not that I get a whole lot and everything, you know, just basically I'll be able to hold up my share, you know, of uh, of food and everything, you know, contributing to the, uh, you know, to the family's uh, meals and everything. So that'll be nice and I won't feel guilty about, uh, about you know, making what I'm making and everything. You know, especially knowing that uh, they're enjoying it just as much as I do, and they're probably getting better food, you know, from me than they would from most restaurants and everything too. So, anyways, that that was a kind of a, a nice thing. And um, the other thing is, I picked up The Witcher, you know, three the other day, and I started playing it. Just it's it's horribly depressing. You know, and I'm finding myself going back to some of these games that I just actually enjoy the experience of. These worlds, uh, that I should say. And uh, Watch Dogs 2 is a, is a game I've picked back up again. But this time I started just basically playing the, uh, doing the, um, the, uh, some of the extracurricular activity. They have a lot of races that I didn't finish before. Um, they also have pictures that you take of certain places, and you get bonuses for going to those places and everything. And it's kind of like the developer's way of saying, please check out our world, and we want you to see our depiction of these sites and how they relate to the real, you know, to the real version of San Francisco and 
I just, you know, I'm, it's like Grand Theft Auto, thoroughly impressed with what the developers have done for these worlds. I mean, i got to give the guys kudos and everything. So I told a friend of mine that uh, Dead Sex Real, and um, as for all intents and purposes, I'm calling it a real, you know, Dead Sex is a hacking group. It's an, you know, I used to belong to Anonymous, and for me, it's just like, as far as I'm concerned, I belong to Dead Sex now. So, and Dead Sex is a hacking group in Watch Dogs, too. So... As a member of DeadSec, I'm rather proud of uh, the representation they've gotten through this uh, this game, and um, it's made me think about the next versions of Watch Dogs. You know, and maybe I can create a a bigger, better version of Watch Dogs. So that's actually why I returned back to Watch Dogs. I was already getting motivated and inspired before, you know, Stanley ended up suggesting. It's just like, go play Witcher. You're gonna love the graphics in it, and sure, it's beautiful, but my God, it's so depressing. So, you know, it's um, it's like a, it's like dating a uh, gorgeous woman. Sometimes a gorgeous woman could be the most depressing fucking woman on the planet. You just want to get away as fast as possible and everything. Um. So, with that said, um. I had a little gripe I had to mention today, too. It was a, uh, something I heard, but, uh, I keep hearing every once in a while when I go into, like, grocery stores or something like that, where, you know, they end up, uh, Ralph's would do this. It was really fucking annoying, where they'd circle the, uh, they would put down on the receipt, um, how much they had discounted the, the items for. And, uh, at that point, uh, they would accumulate those discounts, and, um, you know, from their, their quote-unquote normal prices and everything. And they would circle that value. And uh, at the end, they would tell you, you saved, you know, what, $3.50. Well, one of the most annoying things for me is is this statement, you saved. Um, now, I heard uh, the other day uh, something on the Internet. They were charging, I think it was, yeah, I was checking into courses. And uh, I'm looking at Coursera and uh, another website and everything. Um, there's a couple courses I'm actually looking at taking again. And I've actually started a new one um, from Coursera. It's uh, Intelligence Tools for the Digital Age. And it's actually a pretty good course so far. It's an interesting dude that's talking about it. He clearly represents the you know portion of the intelligence community and everything. So... I'm actually, you know, definitely going to give the guy a, a thumbs up at this point for the course. Now, I'm taking an audit, so that means um, I'm not graded for it, and I really don't give a shit. I'm just interested in material and everything. But one of the other courses I was checking out uh, said, yes, you can, get, you can get online free with our course and review it for seven days. And... Um, at this point, uh, you know, what it does, what they do is they require you to have a credit card. You know, Netflix did the same thing, and uh, I ended up, um, you know, seeing that uh, this, you know, once I ended up uh, getting into Netflix for 30 days to watch the, uh, watch Bandersnatch, you know, I used one of my old dollar, it had like a dollar value on it, uh, credit card, but uh, I bought it like 7-Eleven or something like that just so I can sign up for services like that and discontinue it after I'd used it. Um, 
you know, for me, it's just like, uh, that's, I'd use that with the Netflix. Well, this other website, you know, sure, you can get into the website and look at their content free, but you can't actually access it. And that's going to going to be, um, normally, it's it's $150, but today, because you signed up, you know, for our services and everything, you know, for our free services, you know, to look at our services, you know, free, we'll only charge you $99. That's $50 discount. Or, no, it puts, you save $50 for, for doing this. And I'm just like going, no, you're trying to charge me for something you lured me into to begin with, you know, to the tune of, you know, you're trying to charge me $100 for something that, and you've already acquired all my information and everything. You have baited and switched me. You know, and basically you have, have forced me to not only give you my credit card, but you have also forced me, you know, to provide my personal information and everything to you by pretending to give something and then switching right the last minute and everything and telling me you're going to charge me. So that kind of pissed me off. I wasn't happy with that. And uh, it's the whole... I mean, a bait-and-switch thing pisses me off to no end and everything, where somebody on the internet might claim, hey, you know, you'll get a, a $50 gift certificate for filling out this form and everything. Okay, so you get to it. And then all of a sudden you fill out the form, and it's just like, okay, now all you have to do, and they keep taking you through all these different pages, and it never fucking ends. Literally never ends. You know, so... It's just like, okay, where's my $50 gift ticket? Well, here's all you have to do to finish this. And in the end, you filled out your name, you know, literally in a hundred different places and still not gotten shit. So it's just like, okay, fuck this. You know, this this is fucked up. You know, that, that, that for me is just like whenever a company or any company claims they're going to give you something free and everything, in a general sense, you're never going to get it free. The internet is full of shit when it comes down to it. You will never get something free. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. Period. End of story. Underline that 50,000 times. Anytime it says free anything on the internet, choke on their shit. You never get anything free on the internet. And unfortunately, that mindset is contagious. And companies like Ralph's are doing the same thing. And you see it with other companies, too. You save $2.50. I just spent $135 fucking dollars on groceries. Don't tell me I saved $2.50. What you're trying to do is you're trying to program me to believe that I'm saving money when I'm not. I'm spending money, and I just spent $150 fucking dollars. You know, this is with my mom the other day, grocery shopping. We just spent $135, and no, we're not saving $9. We're spending $135. And you're trying to tell us you should have charged us $144. That's fucking insulting. I mean, that's, that's insulting my intelligence. So, anyways, I just, when it comes down to deceptive practices, when it comes down to financials, you know, like that and everything, I'm, I see this on the internet all the time, and I'm also seeing it a lot in the room. 
Unfortunately, that same mindset that leverages those deceptive financial words and usage, you know, from a marketing perspective and everything. For me, that's just like, there's no, what happened to truth in advertising? You know, unfortunately, you've got too many people from too many different countries that are infecting the internet, you know, and they're more interested and they are making money than they are actually providing a realistic, you know, service and everything. And not only that, but when they do provide something, you know, they're claiming that you're actually getting this for the best price or something like that, you know, and, uh, or that they're giving you, they're doing you a favor. You know, by basically making it so where you're paying less money than they want to charge you. And that's fucked up. Really, that's seriously fucked up. So, in any case, the way I look at it is, if you've got a price, you know, that you believe something's worth, then put it out there for that price. If nobody's willing to pay for it, either adjust your price... Get into another business or stay fixed on that price. Me? I mean, as a programmer and everything for years, I realized that I was undervaluing my own services. I knew that other people were willing to pay more. You know, that's kind of the reason I'm homeless. I mean, I've got an MBA, I've got a bachelor's degree, and I did go and talk, to, talk about this the other day and everything. You know, so I do believe that my skills and my capabilities and everything are dramatically undervalued by the market around me. So, I'm not even willing to work for that market. Plain and simple. And you give me a job that could be fascinating or interesting or entertaining to me, I might be there. But so far, nothing like that's actually conjured. I mean, I did get some interesting ones in, in an email today. This is the first time in a long time that I've actually gotten something that really, you know, kind of made me say, hmm, that's kind of That's kind of unique. That's kind of different. Um, one of them was a... Um, life coach. Another one's a flight school manager. And uh, specific requirements for it indicate that they, they want a private pilot. And I'm just like, oh, that could be cool. Somebody that actually might be willing. I mean, this is something somebody is soliciting to me for the first time. American Flyers Flight School has been training pilots since 1939. They're currently looking for a director, which my education, my experience, and everything is right in line with. And um, applicants must possess strong leadership and coaching qualities. So I've got a life coaching, uh, life coaching education. So requirements are a private pilot's license, be legally eligible, college degree or equivalent work experience, must have strong oral and written communications. And that's it. That for me is actually one of the one of the this is some interesting opportunities I just came across today, and uh, didn't expect this. Flat out just didn't expect it. You know, two life coaching jobs. It's like, wow, I've never seen a life coaching job come across my uh, come across my emails. Never. So this is really interesting that I got this today. So yes, I will be applying to these tomorrow. Um, to a couple of these community life coach, maybe not as much, but the flight school manager. I've really, really, really wanted to get some more flight training. Um, flying to some degree scares me, but I also love, there's something serene, there's something, oh, what's the word for it? Liberating about flying a plane. 
know, it's like the first time that you get your your uh, driver's license when you're 16 years old and everything. You know, I got my pilot's license when I was uh, 26, 27, and part of the reason I pursued flying is just because I was afraid of it to begin with. And that was, wasn't the greatest of reasons to pursue something, but... You know, for me, I've got nothing but respect. And yeah, there's a little bit of latent fear in there. But there's something absolutely liberating about being able to be in the air and point that thing in any direction that you want to and you can get there. You know, um, to have that uh, that freedom. You know, and that's actually another thing. You know, going back to the whole what a wealthy man looks like. A wealthy man, to me, also, besides having great culinary um, capabilities and everything. Also, is a pilot. Plain and simple. And not only that, isn't just a private pilot, but is a pilot capable of flying commercial airlines. And I'm not talking about a wealthy, just a wealthy man. I'm talking about a classy wealthy man, a sophisticated wealthy man. A sophisticated wealthy man has a capability to be able to fly the planes that he owns. Each and every one of them. You know, so if I have a Cessna in my, um, Cessna, or um, we'll put it this way, an Embraer, you know, it's a 20 to 30 seat plane and everything, or maybe even I have a 737 that's been custom outfitted for me. So let's say I have one of those two planes and everything. And, um, you know, I mean, my... You know, I've got a pilot that, uh, you know, he's bored up there and everything, and I can't sleep. Well, boom. I go up there and I sit sit as a co-pilot with a guy for a couple hours or something like that. And, I don't know, maybe help him get current. Maybe on occasion I take the plane out for a spin myself. You know, um, but most of the time, I mean, I like the idea of being able to hire pilots to fly my plane. You know, and knowing what they do and why. You know, that's actually, for me, when I started flying myself, for the first time in my life, I actually didn't have any fear whatsoever. You know, about a Southwest pilot one time when he ends up coming down for a hot landing and um in uh, Las Vegas and planes going left and right and I'm literally seeing the ground and everything from the right hand side straight down and uh, we're at a 90 degree angle to the to the ground and I knew it was the wind and uh, I had faith in the pilot. It's the first time I actually had faith in a pilot and damn plane didn't crash. <laughs> you know, thing got straight to the ground and uh, landed very fast, you know, and it was just high wind conditions and everything. That was part of the problem and everything, and the pilot was struggling, fighting against it, and he got in. You know, that was the cool thing. He ended up getting that plane in. And um, after that, and it's kind of funny, it was one of the funniest quotes that I've ever heard somebody say, where the, uh, the stewardess comes on afterwards and goes, you know, the pilot flew out of the cabin real fast. And uh, it was kind of funny. It was just like a couple of us looked at each other. It's like, what did he get sick from his own flight? And, you know, then all of a sudden the stewardess gets on and she uh, she goes, eh, he's, he's getting his golf bag. He's late for his tea. <laughs> was no shit. Literally, we, we see him we see him out there on the tarmac and everything, and he's pulling his golf bag from the uh, from the um, luggage and everything. <laughs> that was that was cracking up. That was too funny. But yeah, this flight school manager, um, American Flyers and everything. It's actually kind of 
I'm really, I'm kind of jazzed. You know, it's the first time I've actually gotten anything for what I consider kind of cool job offers and every or job prospects and everything. You know, sure, it doesn't take me, you know, in a highly lucrative direction or anything like that. But what it does do is it it opens up new possibilities. You know, I've been seeing nothing but, uh, you know, programming jobs and, you know, things things that I've done a million times before and I'm just not interested in anymore. You know, it's not that I'm seeking money here. I'm seeking something that I just, I enjoy, you know, um, that I find a little personal fulfillment in. You know, so I applied to some flight jobs before, but I was dramatically underqualified for them and asked them if they'd actually consider, uh, you know, basically training me. And it's the first one that it looks like I could potentially get some training in. And uh, I've actually matched the qualifications. So chances are I'm still not going to hear from them because I think my internet's broken. But in any case, it's still cool seeing things like this on here. So... Um, other than that, the whole, yeah, the discount thing was really disturbing me, because it, uh, just, it ended up happening the other day when I went to Fred Meyer's, you know, it's just, the, the lady says, you know, you save, uh, you save $13, and it's just like, come on, quit saying shit like that, you know, I mean, I can see right through you, you know, and I, I know most people probably can't. But we need to quit being so deceptive, you know, with marketing practices and everything. Most people don't understand, you know, how they're latently programmed you know, by that information and everything. And that's just not healthy to them. You know, it's not healthy to me. So, um, started watching uh, Mortal Engines yesterday, and uh, it's supposed to snow tomorrow, so... I uh, saved uh, saved it for tomorrow. My dad just indicated he wanted to watch it, so I'll uh, I'll save it to watch with him tomorrow, and maybe get the rest of the family involved in everything. But other than that, um, I've got chicken with mushrooms. That's going to be tomorrow's recipe, and that it's a pretty simple one. It's got uh, butter, mushrooms, eggs, breadcrumbs, mozzarella cheese, chicken broth. And uh, it's a fairly straightforward and pretty. And this one's a neat, much easier one than, than the one I had uh, today. I had the Cajun chicken pasta. Personally, I think the Cajun chicken pasta is going to be hard to top. But uh, we'll see when I make that tikka, tikka masala on, uh, on Sunday. But um, other than that... Um, oh, one other thing. that uh, My dad ended up... Uh, me and my dad, we went out for dinner last night. And uh, went to a place called Fat Dave's. My dad's name's Dave, and he's certainly not fat, but it was kind of funny. We went to a place called Fat Dave's, and I had the, um, it was a chili, uh, Philly cheesesteak, and uh, my dad ended up getting this chicken thing that he wasn't that impressed with. But on the way out, it was kind of cool. I ended up, uh, my dad ended up seeing somebody at the, kind of like they've got a, a bar area where, you know, it's a diner type thing and everything where, you know, you could order at this bar type area where you sit down, just, you know, there's no alcohol served or anything like that, but you can actually, as a single person, walk up there and sit by yourself there and everything. So he ended up, um, you know, looked over and he told, says this guy's name. And the cool thing was, I saw my dad's personality light up. It's the first time I've actually, it's just like I saw him adjust and he was somebody else for a brief moment. And it was kind of cool. 
you know, and uh, I, I look at the guy and I, I catch myself judging immediately. I'm just like, okay, there's a bar here in this place. You know, that was the first thing that I immediately thought. And, um, you know, I ended up um, just looking and saying, you know, thinking, okay, my dad's had, had a problem, a history with alcohol problems and everything, and much the same way I've had a problem with the drugs, but, you know, his problems with the alcohol has been long-standing. It's, you know, basically since I was young and everything. And, um, so immediately, I'm, I'm judging him. I'll be the first to admit it, and I'm thinking, oh, great, you know, one of my dad's drinking buddies and everything that he knew from here, and this isn't a good situation and everything. And, um, I'm not liking it. I'm not liking my judgment, you know, not liking it one bit, I'm stop, you know, for some reason these emotions are conjuring up, and I'm just like, stop that, stop that, I'm telling myself mentally, stop that, quit that, you know, stop this, this, this whole frame of mind, this whole thinking process is just fucked up, um, I gotta think of better things, you know, my dad's allowed to have people like this in his life, and it's just like, you know, he's his own man, um, yada, 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 and I don't know jack shit about this guy and everything, quit judging, you know, and I'm just thinking this over and over again, and, um, you know, it was a little bit of redemption, it was really kind of cool, um, as it turned out, the guy was, uh, he was an attendee at the Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, and my dad, he was, uh, you know, he was a, was a regular there, you know, and ultimately he ended up uh, having a problem with, uh, you know, some really just, you know, quote unquote for my mom, control issues and everything, but the simple fact of the matter is he met this guy at Alcoholics Anonymous, he was a positive role model and positive support system, and, you know, seeing my dad talk to him, it's just like, it was kind of cool, you know, it was really, he's kind of like, he's less the old man you know, less my father, and more now this dude that just, I know that all of a sudden he's, you know, he's not that much different than me. And it was kind of cool. In that brief moment that I saw that, and that I actually saw this relationship, and saw the, you know, this guy's just like, this man's a wonderful man, and, you know, goes on about this kind of stuff and everything. He's, he's stewing, you know, or stewing's a bad word. Um, you just diffuse it. He's very, very supportive of my father, and clearly my father supported this guy and everything. And I'm just thinking, this is kind of cool. This is a cool moment. You know, for the first time in a long time, you know, I've gotten to see my father in an entirely different light, and it was... It was a proud moment for me. I was really very proud. And it was cool. So, in any case, um, me and my mom went out for dinner to Big Bear Cafe or something like that, uh, after we ended up, my mom went with me to the, uh, um, food stamp office and everything, and, um, we went to, we're, we're gonna go to my favorite Mongolian place, but they closed down, so, unfortunately, I did get one last taste of them about three weeks ago, but, uh, anyways, it's, uh, now, um, we ended up, then at that point, we went to a place called Big Bear Cafe, and, uh, had myself a, uh, French dip there, and just ended up chatting with my mom, but it was interesting, I had a, uh, conversation with my mom today about some of the stuff that's happened in my past and everything, and I kind of went into the detail, you know, about the whole situation, about how I got recruited, and, 
you know, for the NSA, um, you know, and basically what ended up happening, and, you know, um, especially towards the end, and, uh, you know, for her it wasn't making sense chronologically, you know, there's some things that she didn't, uh, didn't understand, and one of the things I confessed her was, uh, how I met Amy, you know, which is basically through one of the, uh, services that the NSA provides and everything for the, uh, people that actually work them to give them cover, and, you know, I, I didn't know exactly what Amy did or anything like that, never really did, and that's the truth, you know, I never really knew what Amy, Amy did, um, you know, Amy, I, I don't even know who she worked for, you know, so all I know and I never asked questions either. You know, it's just things that uh, she knew she couldn't ask questions about who I worked for, and I didn't ask her questions about who she worked for. And uh, it's you know an interesting start to any relationship and everything. But um, you know, in the end, uh, you know, I told her it's just one of the things that I had a hard time with was my breakup with um, Lisa. And um, by the time me and Lisa ended up breaking up, I had n nearly a million dollars in the bank. And one of the things I had considered, I wanted to tell my mom, I wanted to tell everybody I'd broken a million dollars with personal assets and everything for the first time. But part of the reason I didn't was because I was going through a divorce at the time. Me and Lisa started having problems, and I was going through a divorce, and I didn't, uh, I just, it's not that I was trying to be deceptive, I just didn't want, um didn't want them to be aware, you know, of what I, or didn't want her to be aware, and didn't want to create a, a financial issue, because my money, myself, had been earned by me, you know, and all I did was just basically take the money and invest it, that's what I had, had kept doing time and time again, so, anyways, my mom didn't understand the whole chronology, how could I have done these things and everything, and then all of a sudden she started asking some questions today, and, you know, she got some answers, and she's like, wow, she goes, you know, and I told her about the hard time that I had, particularly when I had my money seized and, and how it got seized. And, uh, you know, like I told her, it's just like, I didn't have anybody there for me. That's why I tried committing suicide. I was all alone in this world at this point. You know, um, I had just had $3 million in, in, uh, in, in cash that was taken from all my accounts. Um, I had $8 million that was, uh, you know, withheld from me. You know, and I had absolutely nobody I can turn to. Um, went to the IRS and, you know, tried contacting them and everything. And the IRS is the one who actually tendered the seizure, but they did it on behalf of the uh, the U.S. Treasury, who ended up um, do, putting the requisition in from the NSA. You know, so literally this whole chain I had absolutely no control of, of, of why it was seized or anything like that. And the IRS is just basically saying, it's not us, we're using the U.S. Treasury, you know, and uh, other agencies use us as well in order to do the seizures. You know, and they, everybody's pointing a finger to somebody else and basically saying, hey, I'm not responsible. They are. No, they're not responsible. You know, and here I am, I'm out $3 million, and not only that, you know, but I feel like I've got a hit that's been put on me, and I'm afraid for my fucking life. You know, and my mom's like, yeah, I remember, I'm, you know, having those conversations with you. I said, you know, what I lived through, that was easily one of the scariest moments in my life. And, um... How do you, you know, like I was telling her, it's just like, you know, I was, I felt utterly alone, betrayed by basically everybody, you know, and uh, not only that, but, you know, everybody was so focused on one thing, drugs, that's all anybody cared about, I was doing drugs, that's, that to them was the reason for this all, no, it was far more than that.
there was a lot of mitigating circumstances into it, and for me, the drugs only escalated to some degree because I was so fucking stressed out. But it was it was we'll put it this way, it felt good. I had two good things happen two separate days, you know, my dad not even with his friend and everything, and my mom actually asking questions about some of the things that that happened in the past that basically nobody wants to broach. I don't give a shit if anybody believes me, and she goes, yeah, I believe you about that. You know, she emphasized that, and I said, yeah. I mean, I, I feel for it now, but back then, you know, it's just part of the reason I was really kind of unhappy camper when I came here. Why I left, yeah. I left a country that I felt had betrayed me and just nobody cared. But, it is what it is, right? So, anyways, um, it's about 11.45. I'm gonna get one more race in, try to get a gold medal on this thing, and Watch Dogs too. I like the races in Watch Dogs too. They've got, like, these motorcycle races, and, uh, car races, and little cart races, and everything, and one of the races I don't like is the ATV race. It's, uh, it's set on, it says it's an easy difficulty, but I think, hands down, it's the, it's the most fucking toughest one. Um, but I've always been a lot better on a motorcycle in real life than I have in the, on the uh, ATV. So maybe that's why I understand balance a little bit better with the uh, motorcycle and everything. And that translates to the computer pretty well. But anyways, um, yeah, that's about it for tonight. So uh, if anybody has any uh, good recipes or anything like that, my email is on the website. So, I'm talking like fabulous recipes, and, and you know what I like is, especially different dishes, particularly that are a little bit spicy and everything. You know, like I said, the Cajun chicken pasta is definitely one thing. Another thing I was looking for, for a recipe for, was uh, another Zite House thing, um, was a, uh, they had a, a stuffed chicken, and it was, it was stuffed with shrimp. Now, what they did... I have no fucking clue, and I cannot for the life of me find a recipe, and I actually emailed Zutejas and asked him for it, and nobody remembers the dish. So, in any case, um, I, I'm just like SOL on that one, but uh, but if anybody has any leads on a, on a stuffed chicken, you know, from Zitejas, specifically from Zitejas. Um, it basically was when Zitejas first came into the Phoenix area and everything. That's when they had it on their menu. Uh, yeah, if you've got any leads or anything like that on it, please let me know. And I'm pretty sure it was it was stuffed with shrimp. So, but I, but it had this concoction that was just oh my fucking god, fantastic. Now I think I'm on the right track with the Cajun chicken pasta. You know, um, if I actually have the chicken on a bed of the Cajun chicken pasta, or the chicken on a bed of this Cajun pasta, then that's absolutely a step in the right direction. But the question is, what was it stuffed with? So, anyways, if you do find any, find anything, you know, thank you for listening as usual, and uh, dead sick is real. So.